Welcome to Off Hours, a conversation between John Edwards and Chris Manning. So with everyone tucked away in their homes, uh, you finally got your plant engine up and running again there in the studio. Yeah, I finally had a chance to get all of the last pieces moved from my living room to the studio. So I was able to get my plant straight line engine back up and running. And so that's now here in the shop and ready for me to use. Yeah, the last time I saw it, it was dangling precariously. I shouldn't say the last time. The second to last time I saw it, it was dangling precariously in the air off the, the end of a forklift. Actually, it wasn't even a legitimate forklift. That was a skid steer with a forklift attachment on the, the front. Please don't remind me of that. I still have nightmares about moving that thing around and, and the way that it was being put onto that truck. But anyway, it's uh, it's here and it's safe. All of the the truly delicate bits are things that I brought myself. Mm-hmm. They're not the light bits necessarily because that table weighs probably more than you do. Mm-hmm. Still, the getting the parts here that were a little more delicate and, and fragile I took care of that myself. So yeah, I was able to get that here into the studio last weekend and got it reassembled. So the next one is the Rose engine because that's still all sitting in the living room. And I think that's the last piece of equipment that's sitting in my living room. So Tamara will be happy that that's finally out of there this weekend. The last vestige of your former life. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So it's slowly all of the reminders that she had of having equipment and and machines spread everywhere will be gone. Just a memory. I'm sure the cats will miss them. Well, no, actually the cat sort of ignores them, so she doesn't really care about them. Although she does tend to chew on the leather cords, so when I was rebuilding it, I decided to put new leather cords on, partially because they had been disintegrating in the sunlight, but also because the cat had gone off and started chewing on them. So I didn't want a a counterweight all of a sudden dropping in the middle of working and messing up a piece. So uh, I decided to rebuild them and put new ones on there. Looks rather handsome, all freshened up with brand new leather strapping. Mm. I was intrigued by the way you had actually affixed the the weights. It almost seems impossible that it works, but when you compare it and, and think on it, it, it is actually a much better system than than using, say, a, a leather staple. Here to explain how the the weights are held on your plant engine. Yeah, we'll put a link to an Instagram post that I put up, and also to a new video, which we'll talk about in a minute. So the method for attaching this, you need a loop at the end of the cord, uh, something that'll hook through the counterweight on one end and onto the headstock on the other end. And so this system just uses two slits that go through the cord itself, and then you're passing the cord through and basically using friction to make the cord sort of stay where it is. It's a system that I saw in a couple of photos from old engines, the way that they'd been set up. Some of the older promotional photos and everything of the plant engines, I was able to sort of get this idea from them. It's a nice idea. It works better than the metal staples I was using. And frankly, it looks a lot nicer than the metal staples as well. Yeah, and beyond just the friction too, you've actually got the leather sort of pinching in on itself and and pinching Mm -hmm. even harder depending on, on how much weight is actually pulling down on yeah, the leather. It's almost like a sort of a Chinese finger trap mm-hmm. type idea where it's, you know, it, it uses the the weight on itself to help grab itself and prevent it from sliding and slipping. One of those counterweights that's on there is probably 40 pounds. So it's it's the sort of thing that's got a fair bit of weight on it. And this is only a six mil leather cord and it's able to, to hold it up quite nicely. And again, the friction and weight from this is actually pretty good. And it, it manages to hold itself in place. So you have plans for the, the first item you'll be 
guilloching, straight lining, straight lining. Is that a question? Engraving. It's engraving. Engraving? Yeah, engraving is well, what it is. Engraving just seems like a slight. No, no, it is engraving. Hand engraving is still pretty good. It's still impressive. I, I'm, I'm actually going to be trying my hand at that soon as well. But that's, yeah, hand engraving is still impressive. So engraving in general, that's, that's what it is. All right, all right. Fair, fair point. And maybe we'll, we'll touch on your hand, hand engraver shortly too. But uh, do you have thoughts or, or plans in mind for the, the first thing you'll be engraving on your, your straight line engine? I've got a couple of ideas, actually. I've been inspired by a few people out there who are doing some little pieces in this pandemic that people are sort of locked at home and sometimes they're they're sort of removed to their home studio, which maybe isn't as well equipped as their their normal studio is. So I've seen a few people doing engraved pieces. There's a little Actually, a nice little pocket knife that Gerber makes that is designed to use the little disposable utility blades, the the parallelogram utility blades that are pretty uh, ubiquitous out there in the world. So I may take one of those and do some engine turning work on one of those. I've also actually just ordered a couple of Zippo lighters because you can order those blank without any engraving or markings on them. Uh, so I've got a couple of those coming in, and uh, we'll do some experiments with that and just sort of see how they turn out and, and see what they look like, and see if I can get some some neat ideas going. Uh, that's nice because you can actually buy those made of sterling, and uh, I don't have to make anything myself. I just have to actually adorn it with some engine turning. So, uh, yeah, I've got a couple of ideas for just little things to sort of get me back in the groove of engine turning because it's been a while since I've done any, and with with watch dials, while that's going to be primarily what I'm doing in the long term, I need to sort of work my skills back up to doing precision engine turning again. So will these be items for sale then that help keep the this studio afloat, or is this more just, just for fun and, and pleasure? At first, I think it's just going to be for fun, uh, just some sort of little things to, to experiment with. Maybe there'll be some random acts of art, and I you know send random them out to... Of art. I, I like send it. them off to some people and, you know, and as little thank yous for stuff they've done for me over the years or whatever, so... We'll see if people like them and there's some interest in in them on Instagram. Then uh, you know maybe I'll go off and do up a couple of them and throw them on my website. Uh, certainly they'll be good fodder for videos and showing people how engine turning actually works and and how you do layout and how you actually engrave pieces. It's going to be interesting. I've, I've been looking for little things like this to sort of play around with and engrave. So this is going to be a nice opportunity for me to actually sit down and and play with some things without needing to actually make the base object first. That's been one of the things that's always annoyed me is I don't want to have to necessarily make a piece of jewelry just to be able to engine turn it. I I would like to be able to just grab something and, and go and not have to worry about making that original object. Well, speaking of fodder for new videos, this plant straight line engine has actually served to reignite your YouTube channel. I've finally gotten around to recording some footage for my own channel. We've been talking about uh, how I've been getting Rich's channel up and running and doing some recording with him and doing some editing with him. And I've finally been able to get a few videos recorded for myself. So the first one is just an intro to what I'm going to be doing with the channel. At first, it's really going to be an introduction to the machines and the engines that I have in my space, mostly because the jewelry bench and the watchmaker's bench are not uh, set up yet. We're still working on that that space. And of course, that's been put on hold a little bit with the pandemic that's going on right now. So uh, that'll still be probably another few months before that space is done, and I can actually get back to working on those kinds of projects again. But in the meantime, I do have a number of machines and engines already set up in the studio, and I thought I would give sort of a tour of each of them individually. So the first one is on the plant straight line engine. 
I shot a little bit of footage of me reassembling it so that people can see what it looks like and, and sort of how something like that goes together. And then also a little bit of a walkthrough on what the parts of the engine look like and whatnot. I didn't show off anything about actually using it or any engraving on it yet. Uh, I'll wait until a future episode to, to do some work on that. And that's where some of those earlier things we were talking about, you know, lighters and, you know, little pocket knives and stuff like that, that'll come into handy, you know, with those videos later on, because mm -hmm. then I can actually show a project and say, okay, this is how I go about laying out the project. And this is how I go about figuring out what, what it's going to look like and, you know, where things are going to go and whatnot. So those will come a little bit later on, but yeah, that'll be good, uh, good footage for that too. And you mentioned the hand engraver, you're going to start dabbling in a, a bit of engraving work and those air powered engravers are a huge help in doing any sort of engraving in in metal what sort of research or, or thought did you, you put into the one that you ultimately decided on investing in the hand engraving is really really challenging and i have to say i i have a huge amount of respect for anybody that still uses a manual push graver though they are not easy to use and you really have to know what you're doing and they require a fair bit of force to use as well and I, I've always had a difficult time trying to do anything with a manual push graver. I've been looking around for quite a while for an air-powered engraver. And when I was at WorkbenchCon a couple months ago with Rich down in Atlanta, I happened to meet up with Caleb Kraft, and he's been teaching himself hand engraving over the last year. And he actually pointed me towards a gentleman in Vietnam who is making his own air gravers. And so I contacted him and got an air graver from him. We'll see where I go with it. I suspect I'll probably end up getting into a nicer air graver at some point. This one's not too bad, but it, it's, you know, it's a little bit sloppy. The tolerances aren't quite as nice as they are on some of the, some of the higher-end ones, but you know, the higher-end ones are also three or four times the price. As a way of getting into it and sort of getting started to see whether or not this is something I'm going to do a lot of, then you know, this, is, this is sort of a good way to get going. How does it compare to something like a, a GRS? graver or have you had hands-on time with one i have had hands-on time with the grs gravers one of the things i like about this is that it's palm controlled so when you put pressure on your on the back of it with your palm it'll it changes the intensity of the uh, stroke and i like that a little bit more than the foot powered ones or the the pedal ones that are out there um where you can adjust the sort of the intensity of it using a foot pedal um sort of like what you can do with a sewing machine that one i've never been quite as happy with as as i am with with these little palm powered ones so it's not bad. It certainly does the job, and so far I'm I'm reasonably pleased with it. Just the, the little bit of playing around with it that I did. I just ordered a, a engraver's ball for making it a bit easier to, to engrave in. So that arrived yesterday, but I haven't really had a chance to play around with it much. Again, part of the problem with the space right now is that we, you know, we just don't have all of these all of our workspaces set up just yet. So having a permanent place for something like that to to get working isn't isn't available yet. So I've just been sort of grabbing some space on workbenches in the in the shop space and and uh, sort of playing around with it did well you know in between other jobs and uh, quite a few people who do hand engraving in metal and all of them use the, these powered uh, engravers to to give them a hand so to speak the the most public of these would be grant chambers who's uh well known on, on instagram for his his knives and he actually just wrapped up quite a, a phenomenal piece and it was very uh, intensive in terms of the the engraving and he actually mm. made the entire sheath of of this knife out of two sheets of of steel that he then laser welded together it was mm. quite an accomplishment actually really neat the the tonality of the the sheath if you were to say flick it with your 
your finger. Mm-hmm. But he's a, a big fan uh, of using an air graver as well. But the, the reason that he came to mind just now is you're talking about these engravers' balls or engravers' blocks. Mm-hmm. And uh, he actually made his own out of a bowling ball, <laughs> and which he uh, cleaved the, the top off of. Right. And then he had a, a machine shop do a, a dual-threaded rod for him. So it has uh, inverse threads on, on the two sides so you can open the block up that you'll actually be setting the piece in that you're going to be engraving. It's, it's quite impressive to, to see this engraver's ball that, that, that he's built. And he's certainly done some phenomenal work with it since the, the time hmm. that he first made it. Yeah, I certainly know a few people who've built that sort of thing. And, and I, I mean, I have the machines to be able to do it. Like I've got a big enough lathe that could easily do that sort of work and, and turn a large enough ball to do it. So who knows, maybe down the road, I'll, I'll build my own engraver's block. But yeah, for now, I, I just bought a GRS one just because they were, you know, they're available and they're not, they're not horribly expensive. So I was able to get one of those. Yeah, if you're looking to see somebody who does some truly impressive work, Joanne Ryle, she's got a, a brilliant Instagram account. She shows off the stuff that she's doing. Actually, she's the one that, that I got the inspiration from for some of these little pieces that I want to play with, with uh, engine turning. She's been doing some hand engraving on, on those. And the stuff that she does, she does some watches as well. She does a lot of Rolexes where she does complete engraving, you know, bracelet, case, everything. And some of the pieces that she's done over the years are just absolutely phenomenal. So we'll put a link to her stuff in the in the show notes. But yeah, she does some she does some amazing work on on well everything that she does is she's just a brilliant engraver. Making the engravers block your yourself is right up there in the similar category of of not wanting to make absolutely everything that that you're going to be engraving. It's <laughs> like prioritizing the things you actually want to be working on versus the, the things you could be working on. Yeah, although having said that, I know a lot of engravers end up engraving their engravers block <laughs> <laughs> and decorating them themselves. So. There's a lot of that that, that happens with, uh, with these engravers block for sure. Procrastinating. working. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, you're bored, you need to do something, you want to practice. What's, what's right in front of you? There's a big piece of steel in front of you. The first couple of videos from my Inside the Studio channel should be up on my channel probably before this actually goes live. You can go out and check them out. I don't know how regularly they're going to be published. It really depends a lot on how, how much I can get in there and, and actually record stuff and as I was finding out yesterday, trying to record into my into my camera and with it facing the direction I wanted to, I have the big glass window right in front of me, and even with the frosted window, I could barely see anything. It was it was so bright yesterday that I couldn't I couldn't actually see into the camera without squinting. So we'll see how often I'm I'm able to sort of record stuff. The next one I think I'm going to do is on my Cromwell lathe, and a lot of people have seen lathes, a lot of people have used them, a lot of people probably even have them in their shops, but. Uh, the Cromwell is a bit of a, a unique machine, and so I'm gonna could give a little bit of a tour of that and, and show off some of what a, some of what that does. You got the, the new new iPad on route. Is it, has it arrived yet? Yeah, it's it's really terrifying how fast that thing is. I I haven't bought a new iPad Pro in in a bunch of years. I was due for a new one, so I decided to buy the the newest one. And I have to say, it is unbelievable how fast that thing is. And I've actually been using it quite a bit lately for drawing as well. The new pencil's really nice. It's it's an improvement over the first generation one. So I've been pretty happy with that and been doing a lot of sketching on that and a lot of uh, layout work on that. So that's been been good to sort of play with. Uh, what I'd really love, I'd really love to get a couple of the pro apps out there that I use on my MacBook onto the iPad. Mm-hmm. Things like Logic, things like Final Cut Pro, DaVinci Resolve. 
it'd be great to be able to get that stuff on there because frankly those iPads are so fast now, especially the graphics cards that are in that are in them. If people would start writing apps, you know, high-end pro apps for those things, they can certainly take the, the workload that they'd be put under. And you've got mouse support now too, makes it yeah more pro capable. Yeah, I haven't actually played with any of the mouse support. I've got a couple of Bluetooth mice and trackpads out there, so I should probably try plugging one in and and see how it works. But I haven't had a chance to really play around with that yet. And no one's really had a chance to play around with their their new keyboard for it either, as it's uh, not really shipping yet, and, and their stores are, are all closed for for the time being. Yeah, I don't even know if they'd be in their stores right now. I don't think they plan on shipping those until May sometime, so mm-hmm. I think we're probably two months away from actually seeing those out in the world. I do like to have a keyboard available for my iPad. Uh, I do use it quite a bit for writing long-form stuff if I'm traveling or whatever. It's Sometimes it's nice to just have the iPad with me instead of needing to lug around a you know, multi-pound laptop as well. So I do like having that iPad with a keyboard. But And I've used the bridge keyboards over the last couple of years, and they're okay. You know, they're, they're pretty reasonable. But uh, this new one from Apple looks really intriguing. And uh, not just the fact that it has the, the trackpad built into it. I, I honestly don't know how much I'm going to use a trackpad in in iOS. It's not really something I've been, you know, clambering for. I know a lot of people have been, but I'm not really the trackpad train yet on uh, on iOS. Yet. Well, I, you know, I have to try it. And, uh, and obviously, you know, I have to try it with the new support as well mm-hmm. because the, the little bit that I did play around with it once, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty limited. But the, frankly, the, the pencil is far more interesting to me than the, than the trackpad or mouse would ever be. But the sort of mechanics and the ergonomics of this new keyboard look particularly interesting. So I'm, I am very intrigued by it and I'm, I'm looking forward to trying it out. Mm-hmm. And I do hope more and more of the pro apps do come on board. And I imagine more and more will begin to start following suit now that you've got things like the most support and the performance that these things are, are cranking out too. Uh, I just, just hope that I am more impressed by these, these other pro apps than, than I have been by Photoshop for, for the iPad because I had high hopes, but I was well, disappointed and, and let down once again. I think people need to realize that the Adobe of today is not the Adobe of yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Adobe really has peaked and is not, they're, they're sort of coasting on a lot of what they did over the years. I, I haven't used an Adobe app on any device in years. I don't find Photoshop particularly necessary when you've got things like uh, Affinity Photo or, or Pixelmator Pro, that kind of thing out there. Illustrator, which I used to use quite a bit. Now I've replaced that with Affinity Designer, and I actually prefer it. I think it's a much better app, fraction of the price. You know, so a lot of that stuff I've I haven't found particularly useful over the last couple of years. And then in the video editing world, a lot of people are jumping ship off of Premiere Pro because it is an absolute train wreck. Mm-hmm. It it is not stable, and the performance of it is miserable. They've done very little to take advantage of a lot of the modern GPU technology that's going on particularly the external gpus so you know it's gotten to a point where professionals are looking at it and going why am i using software that's slowing me down software that might blow up on me on a regular basis and then paying adobe a ridiculous subscription fee every single month for the you know the pleasure of actually using their software you know something like davinci resolve you can download for free if you want the studio version of it, it's a one-time $400 fee and you get upgrades for life. Uh, Affinity Designer, I think, is 40 or $50. There are a lot of professional apps out there that are not Adobe and they work better. They understand the, the paradigm better for something like iOS and they're a lot nicer to use. So if you've been thinking about sketching on the iPad, 
something like Affinity Designer on the iPad is great if you want vector-based stuff. Procreate is is what I use if I'm just looking for for sketching something raster-based. And again, the the two of them combined are just so powerful. And every single engraver that I see these days when they're doing their layouts and stuff, they go off and they take a photo of the object, throw it into Procreate, do some sketching on there, bring the sketch that they've done in Procreate into Affinity, and then actually do the layout, the final layout in a vector-based you know, design in, in Affinity. And then they can scale it, they can print it, they can do whatever they want with it after that, and it's uh, and tweak every every line exactly like they want it. And it, it's an incredibly powerful workflow. Mm-hmm. And you don't need a desktop or a laptop to mm-hmm. do it. You can do it all on your iPad, which is great. It's just the direct manipulation makes such a, a huge difference there too, particularly for someone like an, an engraver who's used to having that hands-on sensation and, and interaction with the medium that they're working with. Yeah, it's funny. We went around the tattoo convention that was here in town last year and we had some friends that were presenting pieces there and you walk around that convention hall and there are hundreds and hundreds of tattoo artists and every single one of them has an iPad with a pencil. Yeah, not surprising at all. Not a single person has a has a, a dead free sketchbook and, you know, in pencil anymore. They're all using iPads mm. and uh, it's not really surprising. Same thing in the engraving world. You look at all these engravers and except for some of the really old school guys, everybody now has an iPad and they're all doing stuff on on there. And then one of the other fun things is that things like Procreate and Affinity have uh, built-in recording options in them so that you can actually record what it is that you're doing and then be able to to publish the video of what you've just done. The same thing with iOS, it has built-in video screen recording now. So yeah, you can you can go off and you can actually record what it is that you were doing and show people the the process of uh, designing it, and you don't have to worry about setting up a camera or having a camera and getting the lighting right on your page or anything like that. You just go at it on your iPad and you're you're good to go. And actually, I believe with Procreate, it's on by default. It's essentially just yeah. crawling your your undo stack <laughs> yes. and just traversing it all the way way back up. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of fun. I'm horribly impressed with the new iPad, and it's unbelievable how good it is. I know some people were complaining a little bit because the CPU didn't really get bumped up very much from the last generation, but honestly, it is so fast, and it gets to a point where, like, the phone is already faster than every, at least in single core processing, it's already faster than every other computer they make. And the iPad is pretty close to being faster than every other computer they make. It's, you know, how much faster do you want it to be than than everything else? And how much faster does it need to be? Mm-hmm. And one of the nice things, too, about it not being uh, a very big leap or, or stretch from the, the previous model is, is you can tell that a, a lot of the stuff that has been released just now was in the works when they released the last iPad Pro. Because you can use the, the same brand new case with it. It's got exact same pencil it's already good to go with a, a mouse as well because that's a, a software update so i was just really impressed and, and heartened to see that the, the previous generation of the ipad pro can uh, be used with this brand new keyboard case which uh, i actually didn't believe the the photos of when, when i first saw it i thought it was one of those <laughs> An april fool's joke or yeah, something yeah. or like some fantasy render by someone but no, no it's, it's the real deal so it's uh, it's impressive, and I'm, I look forward to getting some some hands on time with that once it, it actually is available for yeah. sale. And I would say that if you have one of the previous generation iPad Pros, I I wouldn't bother upgrading to this one unless you desperately need the lidar that's on the back of it or something. But 
you know, if you're a developer that's that's playing around with AR-based stuff and you want the the LiDAR, LiDAR sensor that's on the back, then go for it. But otherwise, for most people, they're, they're not going to notice enough of a difference. But if you're like me and you were a couple generations back, uh, this is definitely a nice iPad to, to jump up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and AR developers is sort of the key there uh, because I, poking around in the documentation, we as developers can't actually access the LiDAR directly. It's, it's something you oh, really? uh, get access to indirectly via ARKit. So okay. you just get all the, the niceties that uh, LiDAR opens up for you in terms of the precision of how the iPad is, is seeing the world. Uh, you're able to, to leverage that within your AR apps. Yeah, it is impressive. I I played around briefly with the, the Measure app, which I think right now is probably about the only thing that you can actually use that's taking advantage of the LiDAR. And it is impressive just how accurate it is and how fast it is. It knows the world around you very, very quickly. I think it. I think they were saying that the LiDAR is good up to five meters. So, you know, anything within five meters of you, it knows exactly where it is and exactly how far away it is. And then with the two cameras on the back as well it can use the combination of the two mm-hmm. image sensors to be able to pick stuff up and figure out where things are so yeah there's we'll be I'll be curious to see what people do with it i think it's still this is still sort of foundational technology and and we're still sort of waiting for the killer device that's really taking advantage of a lot of the ar stuff but i think this is one of the foundation pieces that's necessary to help develop those apps that we're eventually going to have on you know whatever apple monocle or whatever it is that we we end up with a couple of years from now. And Tim, if you're listening, I do want a monocle. I'll set up for a loop. <laughs> that would be good too. Well, you know, if, you, if it's a good monocle, you can convert it into a loop. Well, Focals have been teasing a, a new set of AR type glasses. I tried their previous generation and we actually spoke about that on yeah. a, a previous episode. And uh, I was mainly disappointed that they, they didn't have any sort of platform in place to actually develop upon and it's just get yeah, basically what's in the box and and that's it mm. and uh, and the fact they're a little too big for for my own face personally but uh the, the, what they're teasing about the new ones looks looks promising and uh, the only unanswered question still to be answered is, is whether they will have any sort of, of platform in, in place and i really hope they do because i would be very intrigued by that and certainly be willing to to give them a go but who knows? Uh, Apple could have uh, a set of, of <laughs> monocles, glasses, what have you, out uh, just yeah. about any day now. Cause yeah, I think that Focals, I, I don't know how well they're going to do. I think they're... Waiting to be bought? I think they're, yeah, I think that they're trying to dangle themselves out there as an acquisition target. I, I don't know that it's ever going to be a real platform just because it doesn't integrate heavily enough into either Android or iOS. So I think until... Until they get bought by somebody who can integrate deeper into those those infrastructures, I don't think they're ever going to do particularly well. We we were looking a little bit at some of the VR headsets that are out there, like the new Oculus ones, the Oculus Quest, I guess, and that's a standalone device. But even then, it's pretty limited what you can do with it. Even as a as a developer, it's pretty limited what you can do with that. But that's still only VR. That's not not AR. So it's not integrating with the rest of the world around you. So it's it's pretty limited. So we'd be building a, a padded room somewhere in the, the new studio for <laughs> VR? Not for me. My eyes are just a little bit uh, wonky and I can't actually use uh, VR stuff at all without getting incredibly sick. I won't be doing anything VR-wise. But AR is appealing to me. My It's my left eye that's a problem and I don't have to worry about it focusing on something that's that close because it just doesn't want to focus that closely on something. So uh, if it's further away, if I can have something as a heads-up display or whatever on my right eye and 
be able to see through the glasses to the rest of the world just like normal. That'd be great. So the focals were made for you then. They, they no. only project to the right eye. No. <laughs> <laughs> and actually what would be really great is to have, you know, a pair of sunglasses or something that I could I could use on a motorcycle. That'd be really nice. Mm. Yeah, that, having uh, Being able to have a heads-up display, have turn-by-turn directions and stuff like that, that would be uh, a great addition to, to uh, riding for sure. There are motorcycle helmets out there with heads-up displays. And not, not quite what you envision. Again, I, the problem with them is that they've got really limited integration with your and I, the the reviews that I've seen of them have not been particularly appealing. So, yeah, we'll see. It's it's coming down the road. It's just a, a question of who who brings it out and when. So, do you have a motorcycle sitting somewhere that that I am unaware of? No, but I suspect I'm going to be buying one at some point. I know it's been a couple of years since I last had a motorcycle, and I've been itching to get one. So, I'm. Uh, we'll see. It, maybe not this year. I know Tamara's been itching to get a bike as well. So, we'll see what happens. But I, by this time next year, there's a very good chance that I'll be riding again. So, well, yes. assuming the weather's nice enough. <laughs> hey, today's a perfect day for a ride. <laughs> it is a perfect day, but and allow and and assuming that we're allowed going outside again in a year. You think, you think this will last that long? Yeah, I, I think that we're going to be in lockdown for another couple of months. We'll mm-hmm. see. Yeah, I imagine so. I, I mean, New York just outpaced China, so. Yeah, yeah, it's terrifying that a city of 12 million people has been able to outpace a country of, what, 1.6 billion. Hmm. It's uh, it's pretty terrifying. It's, uh, yeah, unreal. And to, and to think it's happened in, in such a, a short span as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's pretty crazy the just how quickly this has hit the world. But I think we'll be in lockdown for another couple of months for sure, and and then we'll see how see how things happen. And and then of course there's always the potential for it to sort of rear its ugly head again mm-hmm. if we come out of this too soon. So I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, in some ways, it's it's been good for you with with the new studio, and then in, in other ways, it's been not so great with with contractors not wanting to come by to do work or being essentially barred from, from yeah. coming by to, to do any sort of work. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a little bit frustrating that things things aren't moving as fast as we want them. Although, um, you know, Reg, who's been coming and helping out, he's coming from Montreal and and the Quebec government is talking about locking down the border between Ontario and Quebec. So even if he was here, he might not, uh, might have a difficult time getting home again or being allowed back over here. So even if he was here, that would be, he'd probably be heading home pretty quickly anyways. So, you know, it's... It's been frustrating, but at the same time, I'm also very fortunate because I have my little bubble here that, well, quote, little bubble. <laughs> big, big quotation mark. <laughs> yes, there aren't large enough air quotes in the world to to surround that. But I, I envy your bubble. <laughs> you know, and the, the big thing is that the, my bubble happens to include a whole lot of fun toys. So I can complain that my, you know, my studio space isn't finished yet, but at the end of the day... I have a shop full of machines and I have basically infinite amount of time and an infinite number of projects that I can work on. So yeah, I'm, I'm quite fortunate in that sense that, that I can do that. And that's why, you know, I'm recording here today, which is why you can hear some traffic in the background. I, I, we haven't got the podcast studio quite finished yet. So unfortunately, I have to put up a little bit of road noise. I was sincerely surprised by, by the looks of, of the <laughs> this studio. It's that's that's Rich's touch there, isn't it? Oh yes, the that's the problem with with having a mad genius as a partner, right? <laughs> is that you end up with uh, with crazy things. All right, we're not going to post any photos of it just yet because we'll we I want to wait until it's actually done before mm. we 
before we post photos online. But yes, it's uh, it's a bit of a a bit odd. I, I said I want a square box in a corner that has you know soundproofing in it, and that's not what I got. So, anyways, well, I'm looking forward to having that up and running, and and then the two of us can actually record in person, which will be nice, and and be able to to record together. So, you sure you're ready for that? What's the line from the line from the Watchmen? You're, you think that I'm I'm locked in here with you, but what you don't realize <laughs> is that you're locked in here with me. The only question was which which of us is voicing that. <laughs> oh, that's me. <laughs> The only strong nudge I, w- I would have for, for you and Rich in this is, is to just strongly consider you putting a, an evolution door on that room. If there's no room I have seen <laughs> more deserving of the evolution door. Yeah. And, and for anyone listening who's, who's not familiar with this, this door, it's a, I can't really call it a hingeless door, but it is not hinged in the, the traditional sense. It's very origami in the way yeah. that, that it opens and, and closes. And it actually doesn't take a whole lot of effort to... Mm-hmm. to do it but i I've, this this space is just just calling for for an evolution door well I, I think that the door that we're going to be putting on there is probably going to live there just because from a practical point of view it it's nice to have because we can put sound panels on the back of it it's just a traditional you know steel case hung door we can put a sound panel on the back of it and, and help deaden some of the sound but maybe on the outside of it we'll put a put one of these doors on there and and do that yeah it's we'll see Door on door, screen yeah. door for your, there's still, your podcast studio. <laughs> that's right. There's there's still some crazy things happening there, so it'll be a bit before we get that done. You got a, a lot of crazy and exciting and, and lovely things going around around the the studio there. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure Rich must be be itching to to get back in there and, and start working al- alongside you too. Yeah, he's been uh, kept away. He's uh, isolating himself at home. Unfortunately, he's been kept away for for a little while with with all this isolation business but hopefully it'll it'll relax a little bit so that he can actually come in and uh, and work a little bit as well and frankly having 8300 square feet if the two of us can't keep at least two meters apart in 8300 square feet I, I i'm not sure how we could do it it's we've got more than enough space to be able to stay away from each other you could both walk around in giant bubbles i mean you might not be able to use the tools but <laughs> yeah that might be problematic <laughs> So you mentioned Caleb Kraft earlier, who you met at a workbench con. Mm-hmm. And uh, something I was completely uh, oblivious to, and I'm kind of ashamed of the fact that I was oblivious to this, but uh, Meg Magazine ha- has returned. They have, have risen from the ashes, and uh, they are publishing again. And it turns out that, that Caleb is actually playing quite a big part in, in this. Yeah, Caleb is uh, is editing Make Magazine these days. So they've actually come back, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what all the details are of that, but they have they've come back out into the world, and they're publishing quarterly now. And uh, they do have some great information out there. I, of course, just like before, you know, the I don't think the standards have changed in terms of what they're putting out there and what they're publishing, but they've they've certainly got some good stuff. I think you found a couple of good articles that they had published on uh, masks and whatnot, which mm-hmm. relate to our pandemic topic. That's uh, sort of been an ongoing theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been really heartening to see the the way that the, the maker community has, has risen up to the challenge presented by COVID-19 and, and just the, the dearth of medical supplies that are, that are available to mm. healthcare workers at the moment. So Make actually has a, a number of, of articles dealing with or directed squarely at COVID-19. Uh, so it's great to see the, the coverage that, that they've been having and, and also the coverage that's been going on in a number of places and just the, the makers all around the world rising up to make things like face shields and, and masks and, mm. and ventilators even. It's been really 
really heartening to see. Yeah, there's been a few interesting projects to get uh, get medical equipment out there, even if it's just for your own personal protection. That's nice. That frees up some of the more serious medical equipment for people who actually need it, people who are, are working in hospitals and whatnot. I follow the F1 racing series, and a number of the F1 teams have actually put together a project to use some of their engineering and manufacturing skills to be able to build ventilators because there are teams that are designed uh, from the ground up to be able to engineer and build parts in a couple of days. Uh, you know, they'll go to a race on a Sunday and have problems with a car and they've got another race the next weekend. So between Sunday afternoon and Thursday afternoon, they have designed, prototyped, manufactured, and sent off new parts for cars you know, sort of in three or four days, which is pretty impressive. So they're putting some of that engineering skill and some of that manufacturing skill to, to building ventilators, which is uh, nice to see as well. Just truly mind mind boggling to to imagine the the rapidity with which they're they're able to achieve some of the things that they do. Yeah, in the F one level, sort of reminds me. You were talking a little while back about high speed tool paths, which is something we'll mm. have to dive into in a, a future show. Yeah, there's only so far that you you can push the the physics of a machine, and for them to be able to crank things out like that it is truly remarkable. There's a there's a good video. I think uh, Red Bull Racing put out a couple of years ago. I'll see if I can find it. They were following the design and manufacturing of a part uh, to a car, and it happened to be a simple bolt that was being sent to the car. And when you look at the, you know, the design, the uh, manufacturing, the quality control, the traceability of that part going to the car and actually, you know, where it was and things like that, it was pretty impressive. And it, it just sort of gives you an idea of what, what those teams are actually able to do when they put their minds to it. I'll see if I can find a, a link to that for the um, the show notes because it was uh, it's a, a really good video, but it's nice to see them sort of putting that uh, talent to work because right now obviously nobody's you know nobody's doing anything everybody's shut down and mm. nobody's going to F one races obviously and they're not hosting them so we need to need to put some of that talent to to some use. And if any uh, of you, dear listeners, are, are working on any projects that are COVID nineteen related or are participating in any of these communities, please do reach out, let us know. We'd love to, to shine some light on that for you. And if you are not wearing a mask out in public, I would encourage you to do so. And if you don't happen to have access to a mask, I would recommend checking out uh, a, a very simple to make mask. It's been uh, prototype run now in like version 2.2 by Lauren Brichter, who's actually a, a programmer by trade. But I'm impressed with what, what he's been able to, to crank out there and mess around with making a, a couple of these. And they are very simple to make. And uh, a, a child could, could do it with some supervision on, on the sewing machine. But my wife has, has managed to, to teach her, her three-year-old how to use the sewing <laughs> machine. So if she can do it, you can do it. I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes uh, for you as well. So you can uh, stay safe and keep well. Yeah, it'd be nice to see uh, more people wearing masks out into the into the world so that i don't get quite as many weird looks as uh, as i have been <laughs> as i've been going out with my mask and if you're you're looking for something to, to keep yourself entertained uh, while staying self-isolated we've mentioned gary hustwood's work here on the show before and he's actually been making his documentaries free for viewing sort of one week at a time if you're into design at all i would highly recommend checking out those documentaries and you can find a, a new one each week posted up at OUPrettyThings.com. Thanks for listening to Off Hours. You can find detailed show notes at offhours.show. 
If you'd like to keep up to date with the show, follow us on Twitter, at Off Hours. John can be found on Twitter at Under the Loop, and Chris can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Silver underscore Hand. <laughs>